oddball, sort of, the, the wife was smarter. They always are in sitcoms. The wives are smarter. And the husbands are kind of dumb and helped, helped along by their smart wives. Not true to life, right guys? And when Tim would get perplexed about things, which was pretty often, he'd go out back and there was a fence. And uh, his neighbor named Wilson would poke his head up over the fence and Tim would say, you know, Wilson, I just don't get it. He would, he would talk about whatever, marriage, the home, money, life. And Wilson was always spout out, there's Wilson. Wilson was, would always spout out something from Buddhism or Hinduism or some other ism and never quoted Jesus. And I used to always wish he would quote Jesus just one time as if Jesus, the greatest philosopher that ever lived, among other things, he was Savior, Messiah, but the greatest teacher on life and living and explaining life who ever lived, the most brilliant mind that ever walked the earth was never heard from. So it used to frustrate me. So I want to fulfill my fantasy today. And I want to put a Bible verse in Wilson's mouth, somewhere through the message. I'm going to try to scoot back there and do it. If I forget, you'll forgive me. But that's what I always wished he would do. So we're going to today look at home improvement from the Bible's point of view, not Wilson. Amen. So let's look at Psalms 101 verse 2. Here we have David. This is Psalm 101 is called the Householder's Psalm. David is actually praying that God will move in his home. And I want you to catch that. And I want us to pray that God moves in our home. Even if you're living alone, you can glorify God or not glorify God in your home. God needs to feel at home in our home. So there is a way to glorify God in the home. Now look at David. I will be careful to live a life without blame. Here he's asking for the move of God. When are you going to come to me? And then he says, I will walk where, everyone? Within my house. Not the church. Within my house. With a right and a good heart. Now last week we talked about the danger of anger in the home. I'm going to touch on that a little bit more today. But the danger of anger in the home, how important it is that we glorify God in the home. Today, I want to talk to you about what you say in the home and how you listen. So let's put that verse up there, could we? Um, What did you say? I love dogs. That picture blessed me. So we could call this, say what? Or what did you say? How did you say it? In the home. Let's read what James had to say. And as we read this verse, apply it to the home. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone in the home should be, say it, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get mad. In the home, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger in your home if you want the Holy Spirit to reside there. Lord, we just thank you right now for blessing our homes. Can we breathe a prayer? Single or married, it doesn't matter. You're living in a home somewhere. Let's ask God to be glorified in our home. Lord, help us to glorify you in such a way in our house that the peace of God, presence of God, 
and the joy of the Lord exemplifies our home. That is not a place of repression or depression or anger or frustration or confusion. But our home is a place of peace. Even as you said, Lord, to your disciples, when you leave a home, leave your peace on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God wants to be in your home. God in the house. Let me talk to you today about words in the home. Words in the home. In the 1967 Paul Newman movie, and I, and I was talking earlier this week to Heidi, who leads worship for us, does a great job. As, as she was, we were just talking about it, I said, I'm going to quote something from the 1967 movie uh, that Paul Newman was in. And then we both realized she wasn't even born then. And that really aged me because I watched it way back when, 1967. Remember the movie Cool Hand Luke? Everybody remember the cool hand loop? You're old enough to remember it? All right. The rest of you, God bless you. But a line was quoted in that movie that became famous in our culture, and it's used all the time. It it was culturally assimilated. And the line is this. What we have here is a failure to communicate. See, you all knew it. What we have here is a failure to communicate. And you know, that really says it all because that's really our problem. Ever since Babel, when God confused the languages and there was a scattering across the earth, when men could no longer understand each other, and because we were born in sin and our nature was fallen, the the gift that God gave us to communicate was skewed along with everything else. So we have a problem with communicating and with being understood and with understanding what is said to us. It runs through a filter that tends to garble what we hear. I want to tell you today that so much of the trouble and turmoil that happens in the home is a failure to communicate. What we have here is a failure to communicate and be understood and understand what is communicated. I learned a long time ago pastoring. I'm coming up on 30 years of pastoring, 40 years of preaching, but 30 years of pastoring I'm going to tell you, I know it's true that 98% of church problems aren't problems at all. They're communication issues. Show me a church problem, I'll show you a communication issue. Most of us are good in communicating with our spouse, or not good at communicating with our spouse. Because we think we understand what they're saying when we really don't. And they're trying to express something they haven't said in a way that helps us get it. Most of us are about as good as communicating with our spouse as we are speaking Portuguese. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't come naturally. And not just our spouse, but with all the relationships in our life. We have a problem with communication. It takes effort, it takes trial, it takes error to learn the demanding art of effective communication. Most of us were never taught good communication skills. We were taught how to fight, we were taught how to argue, we were taught how to debate, we were taught how to win issue debates or arguments, but we weren't taught how to communicate. Poor communication, I assure you, leads to all kinds of turmoil 
in the home. Polls and surveys consistently demonstrate that the number one issue that can cripple a married couple's relationship is poor communication. And not as a married couple, all relationships, it's poor communication. It doesn't take long for the honeymoon to fade and the consequences of faulty communication to appear. And it shows up something like this. We wake up and we say, you know, we don't talk as much as we used to. We used to talk all the time. We fight now more than ever, and I feel like we're growing apart. Or even worse, I don't know who you are anymore. I thought I knew who you were way back when, but I, but I feel like we, we've just grown apart. There's a distance. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you become. I must have missed God, we say. Something's wrong with this. Maybe I need to make a switch. These feelings result from communication breakdown, which leads to communication breakups. Most divorces are all communication-based. I don't know. We have a thing. We watch Judge Judy. We do. The rest of them, you can have them. But that little lady, Judge Judy, I, I, I never have understood how somebody will travel all the way across the country to sit there and be called stupid by Judge Judy. But they do it all the time. But one thing you do get to see when you watch Judge Judy is it's, it's mostly marriages. And you can see, just watching, how the communication breakdown happened. And now the people who sat there one day and said, I do and I love you and I'm committing my life to you and let's, let's grow old together and happy are now won't even look at each other. Steam is coming out their ears. They're angry. They're attacking each other. They're suing each other. So much for till death do us part. What they're thinking is, I like to bring the death a little quicker. <laughs> so let me tell you first what communication is not. Communication is not just talking. Some people just have the gift of gab, but they can talk for an hour and say nothing. I'd rather spend five minutes in a sub- substantive conversation than an hour with a good gabber who really says nothing. Too many people think that communication is just saying a lot of words. Oh, I'm good at communicating. I'm good. I got a good vocabulary. But you know what? You may have a great vocabulary and be terrible at communicating. Talking and communicating are not synonyms. It's much, much more than that. But then there's other people who believe that communication is just listening. If I'm just a good listener... And these people, you never know what they're thinking or feeling because they won't tell you. They just sit there and listen. That's not communicating either. We need to know what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Sometimes the reason they don't communicate is that they got a spouse or somebody else in the house that dominates everything. I'm going to deal with them in a minute. Grab your toes. I used to be one of them. Still am sometimes, probably. I want my family to not amen me at all during this conversation or during this message. Especially my daughter. Amen, Dad. That's right. Now, listen carefully. True communication has taken place when I understand what you meant to say. So communication is the sharing of meaning, not words. 
It's the sharing of what you mean. The successful sharing of what you mean to say and what you mean to be understood. It's not fancy words, high dollar words, big vocabulary. It's have you communicated your heart, what you meant to say, and has the listener understood what you meant to say. When the sender of a message is understood by the receiver of the message, good communication has happened. That's an art. Because see, sometimes somebody will say something and that's not what they mean. And you've got to listen to what they really mean and not what they're saying. Sometimes they'll say they're irritated about something. And what they're really irritated about is something very different. And you've got to listen carefully to sift through what they're actually saying to get the meaning. So if I understand what you mean to say, then good communication has happened. Communication experts point out that when you talk with another person, there are actually four messages that can come through. Here they are. What you mean to say, what you actually say, what the other person hears, and what the other person thinks he hears. Those are the four messages in communication in any household, any relationship. You're talking, and you say something, and it's what you mean to say. You mean to say a certain thing, but it may not be what you actually say. And the other person thinks they hear and understand what you're saying, but it's only what they think they heard. It's not what you actually meant to say. Do you understand what I mean? We've all seen this in communicating with other people, right? Uh, You're in the middle of a disagreement or an outright fight. I know Christians don't fight. We have hearty disagreements. But you're in the middle of a disagreement or an outright fight with words flying back and forth and and it it ends up devolving into something like this. That's not what I said. Response, that's exactly what you said. Counter response, well, that's not what I meant to say. Response, well, that's what I heard you say. Counter response, well, you heard wrong. Why can't you understand me? You always hear wrong. Response, well, why can't you understand why I can't understand you? It's the Tower of Babel in your home. And on it goes. Now, before long, have you ever noticed this? What you started out talking about is totally lost in a maze of charges and countercharges. You this, you that. Why can't you understand? Well, that reminds me way back when in 1982 when you said... And that's next week. Don't get historical or hysterical. That's next week. So I'm not going to steal from next week. That's a tease. I love a statement that you see sometimes in offices, other places, quote, I know, but you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. That's a joke. Y'all were supposed to be laughing because you know why you didn't get it? Because it didn't make any sense. And that's what we do sometimes. I know you believe we're in a fight now. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but guess what? I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant at all. Real, authentic, effective communication between a husband and a wife or any two people in a household, for that matter, 
requires two very, very important things. Here they are. One, listening to understand. Not listening to counter. Not listening to win an argument. Not listening so you can debate. But listening to understand what the person is meaning to say. I'm going to confess to you today, I was terrible at this, and I have to work at this all the time. I'm a one-gift guy. God gave me a a gift with words. And what I did with it is anytime there was a discussion in the house, in my mind, my job was to win the argument. So what I would do is I would argue, and I wasn't listening. The only reason I was listening to what someone else was saying was so that I could latch onto something and argue over it and tell them how they weren't right and how I'm right and they're wrong. And after all, I'm the head of the house. So you need to listen what the know-it-all has to say. And see, guys, I'm taking all the heat here so you don't have to. I did this. And one day I was driving down the road and the Holy Spirit came into my car. I'm serious. And the Lord said to me, you're not fair. And this was after Kathy and I had a hearty disagreement. Well, y'all are somber today. We'd had a hearty disagreement and I was on the way to preach. God's man of faith and power for the hour. I took care of the little lady at home by winning an argument, showed her I was right and she was wrong. And I got in the car and the Holy Spirit came into my car and said, you're not fair. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're using words against her because you're stronger there than she is. And I said, but I was right. (laughs) I was even doing it with God. I was right. But he said, here's the, here's the thing, Jeff, you can win a battle and lose the war. You can win an argument, but everybody around you that was involved in the argument walks off frustrated. The real issue is not resolved. You didn't settle anything. You just won a verbal fist fight. And that's not winning. Winning is when you listen to understand and you can, so the Holy Spirit said to me, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to preach. And he said, really? Well, I'm not going to anoint you if you don't call her. So I stopped at a pay phone before there were cell phones and I got on the phone and I called her. She answered and said, it's about time. She said, you're not there yet, are you? And I said, no. I said, I'm sorry. I I was wrong. And she said, I forgive you. Now go preach. And I went and preached like a man from another planet. (laughs) But see, here's the deal. We're not out to win arguments. We're out to understand each other. So you've got to listen to understand. And you've got to speak to be understood. Those are the two crucial things in all communication. You've got to listen to understand. Not to win anything, to understand. You've got to speak to be understood. Now, let me talk about the understanding part, listening to understand. Because this is one of the hardest struggles for me. In the book of James, the Bible beautifully addresses the listening side of communication. Points out three barriers that have got to be torn down if we're going to understand our spouse or anybody else. 
Three barriers that have got to be torn down. So say this with me again. We read it at the beginning, but it's so powerful. Repeat this with me. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The context of this verse is two-way communication. James is teaching us by the Holy Ghost what comprises genuine communication. He said, if you're going to be a genuine communicator and really settle issues, you're going to have to be slow to speak, swift to hear, and slow to wrath. Now, let me just deal with those one at a time today. First one. The first barrier is apathy. And apathy is found in the little verse, be swift to hear. Apathy. Swift means eager. I'm to be eager to hear and understand the person I'm communicating with. Now, I used to be eager to make my point. But that's not what he says. He said, I want you to first be swift or eager to understand the person you're listening to. I can't tell you how many problems this will solve in your home. Swift to hear. And when you're hearing, you can't act like what you're hearing or respond to it by saying things like, well, that's stupid, well, that's not true, or that doesn't make sense, or that's illogical, or, or you know, you didn't get enough sleep last night, or what have you been drinking? Because, listen... It may sound silly to you, but it's real to them. I'm going to say that again. Well, Pastor Jeff, what if they just say something that's from Mars? If you undermine or mock or ridicule what they have said, they're going to clam up and it'll be, it'll be snow in August in Texas before they'll talk to you again. So we have to be swift, eager to listen. When couples go to marriage counseling, this is the fact. It's very typical for one of them to be completely apathetic about truly communicating. This person is usually defensive about the counseling session. Their body language says, I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. It's them. This is a waste of my time. True communication requires us to tear down that barrier of apathy. If we truly care about the other person and the health of our relationship, we will be eager, eager to sit there and listen in silence without interrupting, without undermining, without mocking, without ridiculing. But they are important and what they are saying is real to them. Now, I got to tell you why I think some people are apathetic. And, and I understand why some people are apathetic. They're apathetic because one, past hurts. Sometimes we're apathetic about listening to another person because we've been hurt so many times that we don't believe anything is ever going to change in the relationship. We have lost hope in that relationship. And in a relationship, hope is like oxygen. Without hope, it is going to die. Without hope, that relationship is going to go down. We've given up on hope. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to hear the, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Things will be different this time all over again. And we lose hope. Hopelessness in a relationship 
leads to apathy. I don't care anymore. I'm done with this. I'm tired of beating this dead horse, banging my head up against a wall. But can I give you something that Jesus Christ said? Jesus said, everything is possible to him that believes. You know what that means? That means that Jesus can look at a dead, dusty, worn out, hopeless in the natural relationship and raise it from the dead. He can raise it from the dead. Some of you, your relationship is like Lazarus four days in the tomb and it stinketh. If I were to ask you to describe your relationship, you could easily say it stinketh. But Jesus said, roll the stone of unbelief away. I'm going to speak down into that thing. He spoke to that dead man that had been dead four days. He came crawling out of that tomb all wrapped up in grave clothes. Jesus said, unwrap him and set him free. Jesus spoke life into a dead man. He can speak life into a seemingly dead relationship and resurrect it. And one of the ways he does it is by the two people learning to communicate not just talk. Another cause is selfishness. That's why apathy is there. It's possible to get to the point where you only care about yourself, your own plans, your pleasures, your priorities. Your mantra is, that's enough about me, now let's talk about me. Your mantra is, well, that's my opinion, now let's talk about my opinion. And guess what? If this describes you, I've got, I've got five words that'll save you thousands in counseling And it's why I'm not a counselor, because it's all I would usually tell most people. Are you ready? Admit it and quit it. (laughs) Say, well, if I'm just being selfish, oh, I'm not going to take you back to your mom, and I'm not going to take you back to your dad, and how somebody wronged you when you were two, and they didn't change your diapers right when you were three. I'm going to look you in the eye as an adult who is saved by the blood, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and has the Holy Ghost in you. Admit it and quit it, and quit being so selfish. Notice how tepid that clapping was, because we're thinking. Oh, I'll tell you, we live in a narcissistic, self-loving culture, and the Bible never told you and me to love ourselves. The Bible told us to love God, and when you love God, you rightly see yourself the way you ought to see yourself, and when you love God, you see others the way you ought to see them. Seeing yourself rightly starts with seeing God rightly. Relating with God rightly will cause you to relate with yourself rightly. He didn't tell us to fall in love with ourselves. He said to fall in love with him. The second barrier to communication is arrogance. James said, be slow to speak. This is talking about the person who is always doing all the talking because they think their opinion is more important than anybody else's. That was me. It communicates to your spouse that as far as you're concerned, there's nothing worth listening to. After all, I know it all. News flash for you today. It's arrogant to think that you've got all the answers, that your spouse or children have nothing to contribute to the discussion, and it's a waste of time to let them talk. If you treat them that way, you will pay for it down the road. Lady or man, the Holy Spirit's advice to every Christian home is be slow to speak. Listen first with eagerness. I want to hear you. What's on your heart? What's going on? What are you struggling with? You can tell me. 
I'm just going to sit here and listen. We'll go for a walk. We'll go for a drive. And guess what? It's your day to talk and my day to listen. And I want to listen to what's going on inside of you. You know why? Because you matter. The Bible says in Proverbs, many are the thoughts and issues going on in a person's heart, but the man of understanding will draw it out. How do you draw it out? You draw it out by listening and shutting up. So tell me, dear, what's going on in your heart? Tell me, son, tell me, daughter, what's going on? I just want to listen. What are your temptations? What are your frustrations? What am I doing? Is there anything I'm doing I could do better? Or anything that's really causing you and I to be separate? Am I alienating you and I just want to, I want to hear you. The man of understanding will draw it out. Say with me, be eager to listen. Slow to speak. And finally, if you're going to communicate effectively, you got to tear down the barrier of anger. Talked last week about the danger of anger, but listen to Paul, uh, James again. James says, be slow to anger. Notice how he s- starts it out. Swift to listen, slow to retort, and slow to anger. There are some people, you tell them two words, they blow their stack. But if you're going to get to the bottom of what's in someone, you can't get angry. Notice how often this volatile issue of anger is raised in the Bible. Over and over again, you can't get away from it. Proverbs are full of it. We must learn to talk about our problems without fighting. Conflict is inevitable, but we cannot let anger poison the well of communication. You can't sit somebody to talk, down to talk, with steam coming out your ears, sitting on the edge of the couch, waiting for two words so you can blow up. Peter describes perfectly what an argument looks like. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Or insult with insult. There's a difference between a mature disagreement and an all-out, knock-down, drag-out, shouting, screaming, wall-banging, blood-curdling, hair-raising, pet-scaring fight. There's a big difference. The difference is in, listen carefully to me, I know this is right because the Bible tells me so. The difference is in the tone you choose the volume you use, and sticking with the issue. The tone you choose. Well, what's the matter today? Or the tone you use. What's the matter today? Um, Talk to me about it. The tone you use. Well, here I am, spit it out. (laughs) The tone you use, it can be sarcastic, it can be positive. It can be demeaning, it can be loving. It's the tone. You can say the right words with the wrong tone and get it all wrong. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. It's been a ride. (laughs) 
the tone you what a beautiful dress wow what a beautiful dress Tony used the volume you use. Well, let's sit down and talk. Well, let's sit down and talk. The Bible says the beginning of trouble is like letting out water. So stop arguing before fighting breaks out. Well, what's an argument? Arguing happens when the issue at hand is lost in a swirl of accusations and counter accusations. It goes like this. You this and you that. And if you hadn't this and if you hadn't that, or you're this, or you are that, or you're not this, and you're not that. That has nothing to do with the issue that made you begin the communication in the first place. Kirby Anderson writes, each negative comment, negative comment, increases the level of anger and frustration, and soon a small disagreement blows into a major fight. Have you ever noticed when those major fights are over with, They had nothing to do with the original issue. It left the issue and devolved and digressed into attacking each other. That's an argument. If you jump to conclusions or fly off the handle, you kill communication. So you've got to watch your tone and watch the volume as the decibels rise, the quality of that talk is lowered. You got a little dial on you. When you can tell your voice is rising, take it back. Lower it. If it starts getting louder, then talk to yourself right then and there and say, cool it. And if you can't do that, say, see you in a few minutes. I'm going for a walk and get out of there. Because if you keep raising your voice and it turns into attacking each other, you leave the issue And no telling where it's going to go. And that's how words destroy a home. When you can get it, the volume back down, the decibel level down, and your tone in the right place, and choose your words very carefully, not accusing words, but words that stick with the issue, then you'll be able to resolve an issue by eagerly listening, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Is that not right, Wilson? Well, Jeff, you know, Jesus said, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. He said, love one another as I have also loved you. You know, Wilson, you're absolutely right. Thank you for quoting Jesus. (laughs) All right, let's stand together, can we? And And I want us to read together this verse, because as we read it, I want us to put it in the context of the home. This is Colossians 3, 12 to 15. I want you to read it with me. And as we, every verse we read, everything we relate it to the home. This is a verse to the home. Let's read. Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Where? In the home. And forgive anyone who offends you. Where? In the home. 
Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Where? In the home. So repeat with me now real quickly. Eager to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Father, we thank you right now. That these are the watchwords over any home, any relationship. Help us, Lord, to eagerly listen first. Be slow to respond so that we can respond wisely. And slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to get a grip on our homes. May revival begin in every home in this sanctuary and every home listening by radio. Lord, we pray for peace on the home. Now, I want you to breathe a prayer. If you want to lift your hands to him, you can. You don't have to, but let's, if you're free to do that, let's do that. And I want you to say, Lord, bless my home. Bless my relationships. I will use this wisdom, eager to listen, slow to respond, slow to get angry. Thank you for blessing my home with peace. Give him a hand of praise today, can you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.